FTBD is proudly brought to you by Black Dog Coaching, the only online fitness and nutrition company that work exclusively with people in the mental health space. While other fitness and nutrition companies focus purely on looking good, Black Dog Coaching offers full spectrum coaching that incorporates fitness, nutrition, mindset, habits, routines, and lifestyle choices to support positive mental health. So if you're battling the black dog, there's two things you need to do. Number one, contact your GP and arrange a mental health care plan with your mental health professional. And number two, contact Black Dog Coaching. Because while a mental health professional is a very important piece of the puzzle, it's just one small piece of the mental health pie. For the other 90%, Black Dog Coaching has got your back. For more information, check out www.blackdogcoaching forward slash information. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of FTBD. For the uninitiated, that is Fuck the Black Dog. This is a podcast that is all about mental health, the ins, the outs, the, the pathways through it and the pathways out of it. And today we have a very, very special guest. Uh, we have Mr. Aaron Locke with us, who is actually one of the original members of Black Dog Coaching. And he's kindly agreed to come on and share an incredible story with us today. So Aaron, welcome to the show, brother. Hey boys, uh, yeah, so uh, glad to be here, mate. So. Mate, it's an honor to have you, man. It's an honor to have you. As always, guys, so if you're listening in, uh, you know, I do know what's coming, but sometimes some of the content that we do talk about, it can be triggering for some people. It can uh, bring up certain emotions. So. Just be aware that if throughout this podcast you find there are certain topics that resonate with you or that trigger you, by all means, nobody's twisting your arm and forcing you to stay here. But I would ask that you do take some time to reflect on what it is that's triggering you and why that uh, why it is that it's triggering you, so that you know you can look at doing the work on that and getting the help that you need with that trigger. So. Aaron, mate, what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you to just give us a, uh, a very quick overview of your story. I know there's a lot to cover off on and we will come back and tap on it, but I'd like, for you to, I'd like to invite you to share a little bit of your story with our listeners, brother. Well, pretty uh, plain and simple. If, you, uh, if you're watching this podcast, you know it's all about Black Dog and uh, what we're striving to achieve as men to, uh, to battle it every day, um, even though I'm in a pretty good place now compared to where I was, um, it still affects me every day. So um, basically I was at the last straw um, of my tether, as you would call it, um, heavily, heavily getting into alcohol again, um, becoming an abusive partner. What I mean by that is not uh, physical but mental and just um, taking it out of my partner and my children so I got to the stage where I was at work and I was uh, I was uh, thinking some pretty pretty stupid shit as you do when you've got a mental health issue and uh, yeah I, I needed some help and I needed it quickly otherwise my marriage was going to end um, um, I would have been there to see my kids um, that was the, that was the, the point it was at the missus took the kids and said look Listen up, Bucky, it's uh, time for you to ship in or ship out. And um, so I, at the time when she she put that on me, I was kind of like, well, fuck you, ship out. And then we had a, a bit of a discussion and obviously uh, had a bit of a discussion. And then uh, what triggered me was the fact that I had trouble with um, my, my eldest daughter not seeing her as much and being through a relationship breakup before really just got the heartstrings going and uh i was at work one night and i seen the black dog come up on the um the, the facebook page and i listened to a few podcasts on that and i just said mate that is inspirational it's something i wanted to achieve myself and i uh bit the bullet and contacted neil and um yeah here we are 100% man, and I'm 100% glad you did because uh, we will touch on this later on, but uh, Lockie actually started as a client inside of Black Dog Coaching. For, he was one of our very early clients when we were still just Black Dog Brotherhood, but he's actually one of the mentors. We have volunteer mentors inside of the group, men who have completed the program who stick around to help other people through it. So that's a testament to how far you've come from where you were, from a place of depression, alcoholism and suicidal thoughts to now being a, uh, a volunteer mentor inside the Brotherhood as well. So that's, uh, we will talk about that a little bit more. 
Uh, Lockie, I'd like to invite you to, let's go way back and I'd like to invite you to share a bit about your upbringing because obviously the, alcohol, the alcoholism started somewhere, but prior to that you had what could only be classed as a pretty rough upbringing, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It was, um, look, as I've, as I've sort of learnt to appreciate my story more often um, and the, what we what we coach in the black dog is um try not to be a victim of your trauma so i've learned to be look at my my story more so on the positive side and look at it as from the observer side so it's been it's been hard to do that um because i had a lot of anger in my life and a lot of frustration in regards to my mother so she's a very narcissistic woman uh, very controlling and very uh, mentally abusive like i was got to the stage as I got older that um, you know, we used to get in punch-ups and all that kind of stuff and uh, that kind of uh, set things off. I come from a broken family, which is more common <laughs> than not these days. So yep. um, my mum broke up with my real father and then met my stepdad. Um, I have a really good relationship with my stepdad still to this day, and, but I do not have a relationship with my mother. Um, that's um, something I've learnt to come to terms with and accept it. Um, I probably believe in some way or another that I will have a conversation with her about some stuff one day, but at the moment, I'm not too fast. But yeah, she was a very mentally controlling woman and made me think that I had my mental health issues from a very young age and just didn't really know what they were. So yeah, um, just journaling and stuff and trying to remember thoughts and notes and stuff that I'd had just, yeah, just instant, especially when I got a bit older and I moved away from home and then come back and thought everything was changed and just, um, yeah, me and my mum don't mix. It's, it's a cocktail that's meant to explode every time we get together. Yeah. Would you classify your childhood as, as abusive, as physically, emotionally abusive? I would classify it more mental. Yeah. More mental abuse, more degrading and made me feel... Um, Unloved, and I don't. I've always had, I've had this conversation with my wife where I don't remember any kind of uh, affection being shown, or um, come in and give me a hug, or have a cuddle and watch a movie, or I love you, or you know all these little things that really children need. You know, as a father now, yep. I I can see when I get distant and I don't. I, you know, it's not probably not the word. Um, um, we're concentrating on their naughty behaviour too much, and you're trying not to. You're trying to discipline them all the time too much, you know. Rather than yep. saying, "Look, how can we fix this? You know, what's wrong?" Asking them the questions, you know, like, "How do? How do? What's wrong, mate? You know." Um, Focus on telling rather than leading. Yeah, you know what I mean, and and that's um, that's only you know obviously since the Black Dog Brotherhood, since I've joined, like, I've learnt. Um, yeah. Yep. Mate, tell us a little bit about your relationship with alcohol. How young were you when you were first exposed to alcohol, either as a witness or as a participant? And what effect did that have on you at such an early age? Uh, I was pretty young. <laughs> and what I mean by young was my mum was a bit of a party animal from what I can remember in my earliest memories. Um, so I would always wake up in the morning from my earliest memories and there'd be ashtrays full of full of cigarettes and paraphernalia all that kind of stuff lying around um, um alcohol easily accessible you know i remember taking a sip out of a coke can and sipping it and there was you know bloody um cigarettes in it and um five i was five years old when i had my first sip of alcohol five years old uh, yeah um i thought a cast of wine on the on the bench was apple juice yep and yeah, I can see to just can drink it because mum was passed out wherever she was and um, in a bedroom and, and I just consumed that um, thinking, um, being, oh, this is good, you know, thinking it was apple juice and yeah, it was actually wine in a cast. And, um, did you, yeah, you realise that something uh, emotional changed you? Did, did you realise that you were drunk or that it had take, that it had an alcoholic effect on you? Um, not until I got older. Um, but, the story that my mum told me was that she found me passed out um, on the couch. And um, I'm like, you found me what? 
you know, it was like, you know, just stories that you hear. And like my grandparents told me a little bit more as well. So, um, and my mum was a distant, you know, she's not very attentive. You know, I was found wandering many times, um, kilometres away from home. Yep. Um, and, you know, I, I shivered to that, to think that my three-year-old, my three-year-old turning four-year-old would be fine, found kilometres away from my house. So you I mean, were kilometres away from home at three and four years old? Damn. I was by myself. At one stage, I was actually naked on my drive school. Um, this was only last week, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, riding my mountain bike up a hill with my balls hanging out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible, um, man. That would be, in this day and age, that would be more than enough for docs to remove a child from a family straight out the gate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just little things like my mum was very, it's just so controlling to the point where I'd be at my grandparents' house and my, grand, my great-grandmother of all people, who was really good friends with my, you know, my mum and my great-grandmother were really close, you know, and she'd ring my great-grandmother up, say, I must come home now. And my great-grandmother could be in Scottish and thick accent and just be like, hey, fuck off, is it me? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. She, you know, my grandparents used to say, like, you know, my grandma would buy lollies and, you know, for the kids and then it'd be my turn and mum would be like, no, 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 you can't have it. You're not allowed to have it. You know, so it was always, it was always like I was the oldest and I was, it was like she had a restriction on me for some reason. But in saying this, to my mum's defence, she had me at a very young age. Yep. She was only, she was only um, 15 years old. So, and back in the 70s, you know, that's, that's pretty intense. You know, I I can I've made peace with the fact that she would have had a lot, she would have had a very hard time. Yeah. And my grandparents, like let me face it, was my grandfather, who's her stepdad as well, um, would have been a very hard man on her back then. So, I think yeah. recognizing that she would have had issues of her own is a a big step forward. I know with myself, I've had a very uh, you know tumultuous relationship with my own mother. Um, and it's only been, it was actually earlier this year that uh, we spoke for the first time in years and years and years. And that was because I reached out and, you know, I'm trying to, trying to reconcile a lot from my past as well, similar to yourself. But I know that when I sat down and had that conversation with her, it was very similar to what you were saying, that I don't recall feeling loved. I don't recall ever being told, you know, I love you or I don't recall being told that I'm proud of you. And when we sat down and had that conversation and she was able to share part of her story with me that I'd never heard before a lot of things that didn't make sense before started to make sense. So I think having that level of awareness of knowing that A, she had you so young and that B, she would have been, you know, dealing with a lot of her own stuff at the same time she was dealing with a newborn. I think that having that level of self-awareness is going to play a big part in moving forward. And if you decide to have a relationship with your mother, it'll sort of, you know, it'll play a big part in that because you've got, you're a little bit older now, you've got that understanding and you're a father yourself. Yeah. And we've had this conversation. I mean, that conversation we had um, when I seen my mum at the shops, and she was like five meters away from me. Yeah. You know, she didn't. Even, she didn't. Even, whether she knew subconsciously I was there, but I had that that choking feeling I used to get when I am was in the same room with her. You know, yeah. like if I speak to her, it's going to go one of two ways. Yeah. She's either going to be completely oblivious because she's starting to now get older and she's getting a little bit out there. Yep. Talking to my sister, talking to my sisters recently, and I just chose to just leave it. Like I just yep. went, no, I, I don't want to deal with that. I don't feel that I'm in a place to deal with that, and I just left it. Yep. And but later I could feel, you know, later on I felt, wow, is that was that a courageous thing for me to do? Was that you know I questioned it. You know what I mean? So absolutely. Yep. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the questions I ask myself with regards to my relationship with everybody, because I do have a lot of damaged relationships from my past, is um, if the police knocked on my door and told me that person was dead, how would I feel? And I know for me, that caused a lot of reflection because there's a lot of people that once upon a time, I was like, I hate that person. But then the thought of not at least, maybe not mending, but at least having closure on the topics that you know we disagreed on, I know that hit home for me and actually thinking about if that person died, where would that leave me, you know, in a headspace wise, would that leave a hole that I would never be able to fix? So 
Um, you know, that's just for me personally. And I know that that's something that doing that, it allowed me to identify who from my past I need to make amends with. Because there were some people where the answer was, don't give a fuck. Like it literally had no effect on me. But then there were other people where I was like, yeah, shit, that would actually fucking, that would leave me in a pretty dark place if they were to die. And I left things unsaid. In saying that too, like, it was strange because it was also when I was uh, just recently at, oh, I don't want to continue with what I'm doing at work, you know, like, oh, do I just want to go back up to operating or have that? Do I still want to have the, um, can I still put the commitment in and do I still want to do continue on the journey at work, what I was doing? And and, it, and just um, getting into, not arguments with people, but personality clashes, you know, and that just made me just go, okay, what your your reflection on, on your way you're feeling to this person is actually is actually um, uh, reflections of your personality. So yeah. you need to like yeah. you need to like learn to go. Hey, I'm better than that, and it just took took the foot off the accelerator. And when I did that, things got so much better at work. It's all about self awareness. Wow, yeah. like our oh, three foot world, like you coach. Yep, and um. And it was, I couldn't believe how much it was my own ego, you know, yeah. like I just was like, wow. You know, so in saying that, my mum in some way was a blessing that I've seen her that time. And I've seen her at shops before and she couldn't even remember one of my child's names, you know, like, so yeah, <laughs> this is the kind of self-centered narcissistic person that she is. You yeah. Know, she's just, whether it was having children early, or she just went, I've had my kids, I've had my time, that's it, I'm done. So it's hard to understand. She'll never, ever tell us the real or true answer. Yep, yep. So, mate, you were first exposed to alcohol at five. At what point in your life did it become a conscious choice to start drinking regularly? At what point did it start to become a regular part of your life? Uh, probably when I was about 13 or 14. 13, 14, that's crazy. Yeah. Young. yeah. So, um, yeah, that was more peer pressure, if anything. You know, that's like when you're at high school and you've got other stuff floating around and you've got this and peer pressure and it's a group. And, but, um, yeah, more so around the 13, 14. Um, and then it got really, really, as soon as I moved out of home, you know, that was it. That was basically, you know, I had a pretty bright future. I was, excuse me, my purpose obviously helping people was probably realized at a young age. I wanted to be a nurse at one stage. Yep. Um, so I was all, you know, all good. Um, pretty much got uprooted from about year 11. Mum and dad come into some money because dad had an accident. I want to say my dad, I mean, that. Yep. Um, came into some money because he had an accident, come home from work, got a big payout. And uh, so with data went, right, we're moving to Adelaide. It's like right at year 12. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just like, wow, you know, and then in the middle of year 12, we're moving again. So I had to travel two hours, to, so I had to travel two hours to and from school. And that just fucked my fucking year. You know, that just year 12 just became pretty much a, a blur after that, you know, and that's when I just, just sort of realized that um, my parents were selfish and, and didn't really think about my, you know, when it came to the crunch and year 12 was finished and I didn't do too good, they're all like, why? You know, and they didn't realise, you know what I mean? And that's where I just lost my shit. You know, I just like, are you serious? Is that the point you sort of gave up on the idea of nursing? It just, it just went into yeah. the basket? Yeah, I just went, oh, I fucking had enough. And that's where the re rebellious, rebellious lucky came out. And I pretty much became a person. Um, I don't, uh, you know, it wasn't, not real bad, but a person I didn't like. Like if I met that person now, I wouldn't like it. You know what I mean? So I can resonate with that, brother. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was a dickhead, man. So, um, did the drinking get worse at that point? Yeah, oh, yeah, mate. Yeah, and a lot, and along with everything else that comes with life, you know, like you, it's they say that you know, drinking is. Well, they say that other things are gateway drugs to drugs, but that's what happened. It, alcohol yeah. was probably more the gateway, if anything, you know, because yeah. you search for that, you search for that um, um, extra. Um, thrill or on this, you know, you just, the next there's only so much you could drink. There's only so much you can drink before you're chucking up and not having a good time anymore. So yep. what else do we do? Let's find something else to stimulate it. You know what yep. I mean? So went through all that through my life. 
you know, like most people do. Um, if you didn't, then it, I find it strange. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but that's me. Um, but it was always in my family, you know, like drinking, uh, drug taking, it was always in there. Yeah. So obviously, cut to now, you're a, you know, you're a husband, you're a father. How did alcoholism affect your life as a husband and a father? Um, catastrophically, mate. Catastrophically. Um, I was at a stage where, like, I mean, I was going places at work, but then I was under a lot of pressure as well because it was kind of a, it is a pressurized situation. You are amongst a lot of peers and there's strong people there. There's strong opinionated people. And um, I thought that I was never good enough. You know, it's always that self-doubt stuff that mental health has and mental health issues. Um, but um, yeah, so that probably played a fact. And then the fact that my marriage was not going real well and um, I'm, I've done a few things in my marriage that I'm not proud of. Um, just it, so it's been a battle for a long time, and I just I tried to give up alcohol um, uh, before I had I had a stage of abstinence for about four years. Slowly tried to introduce it, thinking everything's all kosher, and boom, the cycle started again. So it was time to just cut the cord, mate, and um, you know <laughs> that alcohol. It's an evil, evil thing. Like, you know, I've seen it destroyed a lot of lives. I've seen it, what it's done to my mum. I've seen what it's done to me. I've seen it, what it's done to some good friends. Um, yeah. At what point did you realise that it wasn't just drinking, that it was an actual problem? At what point, was there a defining moment where you went, holy fuck, I've got a real problem here? Or was it a gradual sort of realisation? Gradual realisation, even through my abstinence and, and before, so... Um, alcohol used to send me on that lot of mental health. I was self sabotager. So, um, what my mental health has done for me, unfortunately, is made me into a person where I will self sabotage my happiness. So, I will go out to try and self sabotage because I feel like I'm not worthy. Not worthy of happiness. Yeah. Of someone's of someone like my wife, Crystal. Um, self sabotage it to the point where it was like, I don't need it, you know? Do you feel like you weren't worthy of love as well then? Because you said, obviously, yeah. happiness from Crystal, your, your wife, Crystal. So, obviously, with the way that your childhood went, do you feel that, well, for a, obviously not now, but for a long time, you felt that you weren't worthy of happiness and you weren't worthy of love. And anytime you suspected that happiness or love was coming your way, you subconsciously found a way to fuck it up? Yep, absolutely, hundred percent, mate. Um, to the point where me and Crystal have broken up a few times, you know. Um, and the trauma that I've caused her, um, as well. We've been through counselling, and um, she's seen Robin as well. You know, like that Robin extended an arm out to let yep. her have some have an outlet at one stage. Um, yeah, just massive. Like I mean, I've damaged Crystal's hand. Um, through um, wanting to not be here anymore, and I was wave, I was smashed off my tits, and I was waving a waving a knife around, saying, "I've got fucking had enough. I've had enough." The knife was meant for and, yourself. Oh fuck yeah! And Crystal dove out of bed like she's asleep, and she's dove out of bed, and she has like because I was ready, mate, and I was ready to fucking cut something and just bleed, you know. And I said to Crystal, I fucking had enough. And like, she stopped her, mate. She's basically grabbed the fucking knife by her hand. Because I was doing it. It was happening. And she's like grabbed it by the blade, mate. And I've pulled it out of her hand and it's cut nerves and, and tendons and all kinds of stuff in her hand. Um, for, for me, that was... It was pretty defining for me because that I've finally the the stage where I've actually hurt someone else. Yeah. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Unintentionally, unintentionally, because I've never felt like I've probably said to Crystal, "Get out of my way," or pushed her or something. But 
never wanted to physically hurt her. You yeah. know, so when I did actually hurt her, and this was serious, mate, because she could have lost fingers and all that. It must have been stuff, soul destroying. Mate, it was and still is to this day. Like I don't dwell on it as much as I used to, but we'll talk and it will come up with full crystal and she still gets to that emotional stage and she's crying about it. So yeah. That was huge. Uh, that's around around the stage where me and you know, we'd had we got Sebi. Sebi was in our lives and, and I was going through a pretty bad stage with him as well. Um, I know they say that women go through postnatal depression, but I was actually suffering from a father's point of view as well. Yep. And um, were you still drinking at this point? Oh, mate. Yeah. yeah. I was drinking every day. And, um, you know, to the point where I it got to the stage where I, um, you know, didn't want Sebastian here. Yeah. You know, and a crystal stopped me again, but I was in the room and I was smothering him. So that was pretty intense. Pretty intense for Crystal. She's been through a lot of trauma. She's been there through my my suicide attempt. Um, uh, so she's seen, she's been there and been my rock and been there and helped me. And, and we talked even more and there's been a couple of times, extra times, even after the retreat that we went to and I've come up with all this kind of stuff that there was other suicide attempts I'd forgotten about. <laughs> Yeah, and um, she was there to intervene. So I guarantee if it wasn't for Crystal now, I probably wouldn't be here. That's intense, man. That's really, really intense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So her mother has seen, her mother's seen one where I was basically, I rang them because um, she was away with Sebastian again, <laughs> another instance. Yeah. She's uh, left home and uh, took Sebastian because she was frightened for herself and Sebastian. Yep. And um, I rang them and said, look, I'm, I've had enough again. And yep. um, they found me in the garage and I was basically dangling from a, from a piece of electrical wire that I'd actually strung up through the roof of the manhole because it's like a steel, um, steel I got, we got a steel house thing. So I'd had it all set up, locked up and I sent, messages of a noose to one of my best mates and and to my cousin who's basically like a family member yeah um that um yeah tonight was a night and i rang crystal and said tonight's a night and uh, yeah she family day basically got with her mother and her mother's shorter than crystal and she's like four foot nothing and crystal's five foot nothing and here they are trying to get me out of this of noose and luckily there was a ladder there and they, she was up on the ladder and she was getting me out of the mood. Do you feel that subconsciously on some level that you didn't really want to, because you've called people and given them the heads up that you're going to do it. Do you think on some level you were hoping that somebody would come and save you? Come and rescue me. Yes. Come and do it now. Cause if I didn't have anyone, that was the realization in my life that I actually had people in my life. I thought I had no one, even though I was married. Good Every cloud of silver lining, even something as dark as that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I, I often say to people with, with my, you know, my suicide attempt, I often say to people, it wasn't that I wanted to die. It's more that I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to live feeling the way that I felt. It's not, I don't, was, and I don't think anybody truly wants to die. It's more that they don't want to live in the place that they're in at that point in time. Yeah. And it it's just the, feels like the only way to end it. Yeah. It's the pain, the pain for me in dealing with the fact that I didn't really have an outlet to, you know, I needed my mother during these times, you know? Yeah. And I didn't have that. And I didn't, I needed that. I need, I fucking needed that. But I was also blind to the fact that I already had one. Yeah. Crystal's mum, you know? In Crystal's mum. So that, to that day, from this, sorry, first, should I say, from that day, Crystal's mum is my mother. Like couldn't she the, is. Couldn't see the forest for the trees. Exactly, man. Like she is my mother. Like I would go to her and have a chat. Um, you know, and she, and both her, Crystal's parents, like even her father and, and Crystal, um, you know, they love me to the point where I am their son, you know. When it was, you know, when I got institute, um, institutionalized a couple of times through suicide attempts, um, 
was in hospital for about a month. Um, actually, in Adelaide, I actually got airlifted to Adelaide because I'd had a had an incident in hospital and took me about five or six cops to restrain me, and I was ready to fucking yeah. So there's a lot of trauma, a lot of incident, um, and I could the precipice for me was like when I'd had seen um, the Black Dog Brotherhood and I seen it, and I was like, I am ready for this to not be a fucking part of my life anymore. You know, I'm ready for this to be. I want to hear positivity. I want to, I want to feel positivity. I want to, I want to, I want to be able to look at my wife in the eyes and her to love me and not be scared of me. I want her, I want my, my sons to idolize me, you know, all these kinds of things where I didn't idolize my mother or, you know, my stepdad, we have a good relationship, but um, it's just, I want to change. And that was the precipice for me. It was just, I'd had enough and I needed I need a change. Otherwise, it's not going to end, end nicely. It's, uh, and that's what we talk about in the program when we're talking about people. Like, as you've seen, you know, there's been a lot of people who we haven't taken into the program because they're not ready to do the work. And I've always said that, like anything, our program works if you do the work. Yeah, and a lot of people just aren't ready. For you personally, you were 100% ready to make the big changes. Tell us a bit about your very last drink. What was it? When you had that last drink, did you know that was going to be your last drink? Were you like, all right, after this, I'm done? Or was it you had yep. the drink? Yep, that was, a, that was a final decision? Yeah, I have, it was from April the 3rd. April the 3rd was my last drink last Tell year. that day. What was, it that um, went, what was it that made you go, this is it, I'm done after this? Um, Crystal took the kids again. Yep. And she said, mate, it's, it's the drink or we are gone. Yep. Make a choice. Um, at the time, I was like, well, you know what? Fuck you. See ya. Yep. Because I didn't, I didn't feel the connection or the love or the, you know, even with my children. You know, understand what I mean? Like, because I had no love for myself. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't trust myself. I didn't believe in myself, you know? So <clears throat> that, you know, and, and, and just the fact that I couldn't be without my boys every day. You know, if I can't see my boys every day, I, they're like my oxygen. If I don't see Crystal every day, you know, we suffer. We can, we can feel it. You know, the connection's yeah. there, you know. Yeah. So I said, righto, let's, what, what's the chances of us if I give up the drink? And Crystal was like, you fucking will give up the drink. Otherwise, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So... She had to like. She had to lay down the law to me to say, if you want us in your fucking life and you're serious, you will seriously give up the alcohol and repair what you've done again. And so far, as we know now, the story is still continuing. Can you uh, can you share what it was like going through the quitting process? Because obviously, first drink at five, started drinking regularly at thirteen, heavy drinker through your teens, and then through your adult life. Can you share a bit about the quitting process, what that was like for you? Um, well, because I've done the abstinence thing before um, and I'd said, right, you know, that was a good stint. It was four years. Um, the first year I can still remember is always the hardest. Yeah. The first year is the hardest um, because once you give up drinking, you also self-isolate. So... Initial circle changes. Yes. So it's... If I, I'm a creature of habit, unfortunately, I've always been one. So if I don't have drinking, I have to be doing something else. So, yeah. So yeah, I've always been like that through my life. If I don't have drinking, I'll go to food. If I don't have food, I've got to have working out. It's always, it's always been the cycle, which I've broken now, you know? So it's just being that better, you know, better person that I'm more interested in, being a better father, being a better husband, being being a better worker and just pushing that purpose stuff that we um we talk about and to highlight just how strong you are and how far you've come with getting off of the alcohol you actually went out just a a week or two ago back to your old watering hole which for a lot of people would have been the ultimate trigger and you were surrounded by people who were drinking in your old watering hole and not only did you not drink that night 
you didn't even feel the urge to drink. There was just zero urge to get on the can. Is that right? Absolutely. Like I had zero urge. Like it was amazing. Um, and and Crystal, she's the same. Like she she won't. She doesn't drink at home. Right. We don't have alcohol at home. Yep. Occasionally there'll be a bottle of wine in the fridge that she's been given, or you know she'll have something she's brought home, and she's worried or she you know we've got alcohol in the house now but i don't know where it is and i've never yep. searched for it so yep. um that for me going out felt incredibly i was with a good bunch of people too you know i mean i'm with brian murphy as you know he's um he's just left his um it's his farewell so and i was with a couple of good workers that i get on really well with and it's it, you know being in a, a sense of people that you can associate with were good but you could even tell like i don't i don't sprout off hey, i don't drink anymore I'm, 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 a lot of people don't know that i don't drink anymore yep um so when people were asking me hey lucky what are you having mate and i just sprouted off yep so i don't know thanks mate people had to second guess that yeah had to go you want what <laughs> you know what i mean so are you sick are you dying um, what's going on yeah so for them to sort of have that realization, and I know a few of them knew they didn't drink. Brian obviously did. Um, so it was, it's kind of cool. It's, it's kind of um, got me, gave me a bit of a goosebump moment where I can safely say now that I could probably do that again. Um, yep. uh, but in saying that, when I went to Adelaide, I went to my uncle's house and he was drinking, I was a bit more triggered then. I don't know why. Um, but yeah. Uh, lots of conversations about mum and my sisters as well. That's probably what contributed to that. So. Yeah. But yeah, that night was awesome, and I barely laughed. Like I haven't barely laughed for a long time. Out in the social, out in the social environment, out in enjoying myself without alcohol. That's awesome. Lucky mate, I'd like to ask you to share a little bit about your journey post drinking. Obviously, I've seen it because you know I've seen your progress through Black Dog Brotherhood and that. But I'd like you to share a little bit about sort of, you've been with us for just over a year now. I'd like you to share a bit about your journey from stopping that drink to your time in the brotherhood to where you are now. Because this for me, this is the crux of this story because everybody's heard exactly how low the alcohol took you and how you, know, you were struggling with it from a very, very early age. So I think that your story, this back end of your story, the last year of your story highlights what anybody is truly capable of if they want it bad enough, if they're willing to do the work. So I'd like to invite you to share the last year of your life and the changes that you've made bit by bit up to where you are now and what you're doing now for your mental health and your physical health. Well, let's start say with, um, I ain't finished yet. <laughs> no, not even close. Just warming up. Yeah, just warming up. Um, the hunger and the drive that I feel now, even though there is moments of um, deflation, which is something we all deal with with our mindset. Yep. Um, is pretty. I'm pretty proud of the fact of how far I've come. Um, <clears throat> my lovely wife tells me pretty much every day. Um, my children even tell me. Um, people that I notice and people I'm friends with, you know, they can see my positive out attitude and outlook on life has a lot has changed. Um, especially at work as well. So, but from starting where I was, um, probably, uh, probably pretty timid when I came in. I guess like it was, yep. took me a while to start sharing stuff, or if I remember correctly. Uh, but now I probably share too much. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing, brother. No such thing. <laughs> um, I do that to drive blokes inside the group, and I know it works. So, yeah. But the the journey. So far has been one of, um, I would say, success. So, 100%. Um, uh, from where I am, where I was, not actually knowing, you know, you sort of still come in blind when you when you do this kind of stuff, and you're like, where's it going to take me? What's it going to do? I'm up you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, keep committing to it, and uh, you know, and talking to Crystal when the idea was, you know, oh. Uh, at first, you know what I mean? You're kind of like eh, unsure of yourself. And, and now I couldn't be more sure of myself. And uh, like we say, that what, <laughs> you know, people spend money on themselves every weekend to like I was doing, spending probably three, four, five hundred bucks alcohol a week. 
you yeah. know what I mean? It was um, 50 bucks a week to join you and help me in my life goal was, was fuck all compared to what it, you know. But yeah, so the mindset that I have now and the, the stuff that I've done with all the Wim Hof breathing and, and the ice baths and um, uh, the working out and um, yeah, the growth mindset wise is amazing. Like my breath now, that's something I used to struggle with with my, with my anxiety side of my depression would take, it'd take my breath away hard to explain but all day do you know what i mean like you'd be short breathing all day and yeah 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 um, now i can i can do two rounds of good long breathing and holding it in and, and just get on with my day real quick i can i don't need to do a full round of wim hof to just hop in the ice bath because i'm already in that zen zone when i do a little bit of breathing work and yeah your body reacts mind, straight away because you can yeah my mind my mindset is i'm getting in there but you know what i mean like it's it's not a case of, oh, no, it's just in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No hesitation, no fear. Nah, no hesitation, no fear. And I mean, I've still got guys now that go, I don't know how the fuck you do that, Lockie. Yeah, you are a machine, you know? And um, Yeah, it's, it's pretty, I'm proud of my mindset now. You know, like, it's like it was kind of strange this morning, like I said to you, like it's, it's weird even how the weather can affect your mindset, you know, even though the lines are all shut, I didn't really know what the time of the day was, I was like flat. I think that's why but palms are miserable, because they don't get sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> we got to the gym, Sorry to anyone who's the... listening, my bad. Yeah, that's uh, all right, man. So I'll, I'll, share this, I'll, share, I'll share this with my granddad, he's, he's on the pom. <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got pommy blood and Scottish blood, no wonder you had a problem with alcohol straight out the gate. Oh, I'm actually all... <laughs> I've got the trifecta, mate. Potty, uh, pommy, Scottish, and Irish. So, God, we're doomed <laughs> from the get go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. What, that's something. What is, that's, sorry, go, mate. You're up. You're up. You're up. What does the uh, What does the future look like for Lockie? Because I've seen where you are now, and it's you, I can't even. Sometimes I struggle to wrap my head around the man that I met just over a year ago versus the man that I see before me today and the leaps and bounds that you've made. What does the future look like for Lockie? Where do you want it to take you with your newfound headspace, your newfound love of life, uh, your newfound purpose and drive? Where do you want to take, where do you want that to take you and how do you see that unfolding? Well, obviously, uh, mate, I'd like to be a big part of the Blackwell Brotherhood. Oh, um, you will. Um, <laughs> that's, that's obviously number one. Um, to give back to the Black Doll Brotherhood is something that um, is number one on my list, um, especially helping the guys out and and actually seeing that, you know, actually getting that feeling of satisfaction from actually getting a comment from someone in the Brotherhood to say, Lockie, you've helped me. Um, thank you for your inspiration. Thank yeah. you for your journey because that helps me. It's the best that, every day, that is a precipice for me. That's my need, want to help people at a young age, like wanting to be a nurse, all that kind of yep, stuff. Yep. And then now being involved in the Black Dog Brotherhood is the precipice. That is the, the centre of the goal. But what's stringing from there is I've managed to put that purpose and twist it into my work. So now that has been, yes, I do the leadership stuff, but now I'm also... I managed to kick some goals with the mental health side of things at work. So speaking to um, the manager of the Wilabiz and Tasmania, uh, the manager, um, and actually having a good chat with him the other day and actually having a coffee and going and have a chat, um, talking about it, he said to me, yes, it's going to be a yes. They're going to introduce the mental health first aid inside of Biz and it could become a national thing. So... Damn, that would be that would be pretty amazing. Um, Same company, whole new role eventually. Well, I did sort of mention that, and it's got, he's like, you know, don't take the blinkers off, keep on doing what you're doing. Yep. Um, you know, it's he he said it was really, really good, bloody good timing. Yep. So just keep on doing what I'm doing, which is um, uh, obviously I'm backing up the meditation group stuff that I have inside the group. You know, so I'm actually trained in the mental health side but now this weekend i'm doing like a 
counselling and psychology course at Sydney University. Yep. Online. Um, so that's basically showing the men that I'm committing to them to say, I have the qualifications. This is what I'm doing for you guys, as well as myself, obviously, but to help you. So come and join us in the meditation group because now I have that experience. They can have the trust and the faith to join that group and actually have, you know, this is actually, wow, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a serious group. This is like serious. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, construction, but also, construction and mining need all the help they can get because uh, I know yeah. FIFA in particular, but construction and mining, the rates of suicide and just the reported rates of suicide are yeah. phenomenal. I believe it's actually with defense, it's one of the highest industries for yeah. mental health issues, depression, alcoholism, yeah. and, addiction. And, and actually having that mental health meditation, obviously undertaking the meditation tuition um, with Robin. Um, and having that holistic counsellor side stuff, let's see where that takes me. You know, that's that's it's it's a marathon, not a not a sprint. So let's yeah. you know, keep the keep the blinkers on, keep stay focused, stay present as a father, keep doing working on myself, but just keep building on this, keep building on it, and see where it takes me. Um, he wants me to be a part of the committee that can actually introduce this to Biz, so that's going yep. to be pretty special as well. Yep. So we're working with more uh, other local, um, there's another local, uh, I'll put a shout out to a local um, men, well, it's not men's group, should I say, it's a local group, it's called ANAT, which is I'm Not Afraid to Talk. Yep. Um, and that's helped me also in my journey and the Black Dog Brotherhood as well. So there's a guy in there that uh, runs that, Jeremy. Um, he's pretty insane, man. He's done a lot for the local community and making people open up and doing podcasts and getting, you know, especially with the COVID stuff, he would just invite local people to talk. And that was amazing to watch because it was like people that you'd be on there not even realising that they had struggles. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah, that's amazing for the local community, uh, especially that. But like you said, with the army and the... Um, the mining side of things, if this becomes, you know, if I can become independent, um, Hayden said that he could probably use me the way that he uses Robin, but as a local. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So that's pretty insane because that could, you know, if I could get these qualifications behind me, then um, I'm going in the bat to make, make tons, mate. So <laughs> early days, brother, early days. Mate, so before we wrap it up, brother, you have come from a place of absolute darkness, absolute rock bottom, as far down as a man can go, to living a life alcohol-free. You've got a loving wife that you're still deeply in love with. You're an amazing father, and we see that all the time. You know, you've got an amazing connection with your kids. You know, everything is starting to come up locky after you did the work. What advice have you got for anybody out there who's listening who is battling with alcoholism, who is battling with their demons, who is battling with their headspace? What advice can you give to them to help them make the changes that you've made yourself? Well, first and foremost would be if you're not getting any help, um, I would suggest that first. <laughs> yep. um, if you feel like you are struggling, have that conversation with your wife, your partner, whoever is, you know, Firstly, go get some network. help. Go and, see, go and see your GP and set up a network. Uh, see your GP who can refer you to a psychologist who can then refer you to a psychiatrist for medication if you need it. I'm not saying that you have to do that. Um, I've recently backed off my medication. Um, I'm not taking as much. So I've now take something every second day just to sort of see how I feel. And I'm feeling pretty good. So it's awesome. See how, let's see how that goes. Um, but then it would be give yourself a chance, definitely. Give yourself a chance and really open your eyes to change. So firstly, you have to be accepting of change and then you have to want it and take a look around at your environment. So if it's not serving you and if it's driving someone else insane or someone else is not happy in your relationship or your kids are suffering or your work is suffering or take a look at it and have, and tell yourself the truth. 
be truthful to yourself. 100%. Really be, speak the truth. Because truth and being realistic in this world and this day and age is something that you need to be. So, and honor your journey. That would be the second thing, uh, third thing. So, yep. really reach out and just try to grasp the fact that I can change and I can be a better person. So, yep. it's changed me. And um, yeah, there's definitely, and find, finally would be there is hope. That's awesome, man. So if you're listening and you are battling with addiction or alcoholism or you're battling with your demons, just to echo what uh, what Lockie said, make sure you get the help that you need. It's hard. It's a hard fucking journey to overcome. I've never overcome addiction, but I have seen it over and over again inside the brotherhood and it's a fucking hard journey. Get the support that you need. Talk to your GP. Get the mental health support that you need. Get the support network set up around yourself. You know, be prepared to do the work, be honest with yourself. And this is something, this doesn't even just apply to alcoholism. This is something that we, we actually week two of our program, we have what we call a truth assessment. And we've, I've seen people leave week two of the program after doing their truth assessment because they just can't cope with it. But you need to be honest with yourself because if you don't own your problems, you can't fix them. So you need to face them and you need to own them. So, and as Lockie said, honor your journey. Don't look at how far you've got to go. Pay attention to what you've already achieved and make sure you pay attention to the little wins because little yeah, wins... Get the small wins first. Yeah. yeah, get the small wins because the little wins will give you the confidence to go on for the big win. <clears throat> Lockie, mate, it has been an absolute honor, man. Um, I always love getting on and having a chat with you and, and you know that as soon as I... As, you know, as soon as I uh, hit the stop button on, uh, on the record here, we're going to keep chatting, but... Uh, Mate, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your honesty today. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of Black Dog Brotherhood, not just as a client, but as a mentor. Um, I look up to you and I know that all the guys in the group look up to you. And you are a dead set fucking inspiration, brother. Namaste, mate. Namaste. Namaste, motherfucker. <laughs> right, I was going to say it, but I was like, no, no, I'll stick nah, to you can, no, it's Fuck the black dog, mate. You can say what you want on this one. Namaste, <laughs> motherfucker. Hey, motherfucker. Take care, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, cheers, mate.